The Lord be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Matthew. Jesus said to his disciples, You have heard that it was said, An eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, Do not resist an evildoer. But if anyone strikes you on the right cheek, turn the other also. And if anyone wants to sue you and take your coat, give your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them also the second mile. Give to everyone who begs from you, and do not refuse anyone who wants to borrow from you. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be children of your Father in heaven. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good, and sends rain on the righteous and on the unrighteous. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers and sisters, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. The Gospel of the Lord. One of the great questions plaguing society today, especially the secular culture, is who are we? There seems to be an identity crisis, and there's many theories put forward trying to decipher who we are in relation to other people. Many of these theories tend to separate people into groups. So whether it's identity politics or intersectionality, cancel culture, critical race theory, just to name a few. They seem to separate people according to race, gender, ethnicity, social status, and so on. Well, it's good for us today to hear what God thinks we are, who God thinks we are, our identity. And we hear it quite clearly in the second reading. St. Paul, inspired by the Holy Spirit, is speaking to his community in Corinth, and they are divided. Some are following Cephas, some are following Paul, some are following Apollos, and there's factions within the community itself. God speaking through St. Paul says, you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. You are the temple of God and the Holy Spirit dwells within you. Now that is quite different from what our culture is trying to bring forward because many in the culture have rejected God altogether. But let's just take a look at that statement. It's a major statement and we can just sort of pass over it and think nothing of it, but it's really profound. We are the temple of God. Well, what was the temple in the Old Testament? It was this house of God, consecrated, set apart for worship, where people came from all directions to encounter God. This was where God really dwelt in his presence on earth, and particularly in the Holy of Holies, in the Ark of the Covenant. And so when St. Paul says, you are a temple of God, the temple, he's basically trying to tell us that 
we should consider ourselves like the old temple, consecrated, set apart for God, and inviting other people when they encounter us to encounter God. That's our identity. When the Holy Spirit dwells within our Holy of Holies, which is our soul, then we are blessed indeed. We're blessed beyond measure because the true, the good, the beautiful dwells within us. Now that's a radical statement, quite apart from what the culture says. And it's meant to bring everyone together because the you in that particular statement in verse one of today's second reading, the you is plural, which means it's us together, all of you and myself together are the temple of God. The spirit dwells within us as a unity because God is a unity in diversity. He's the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in unity. So that makes a major difference. And that's what the psalmist was trying to get at in Psalm 103. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Bless all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul. And do not forget all his benefits. The psalmist knew who he was, how blessed he was, because his identity was centered on God. That's what we're called to do. That brings us together. Now, if that is true, and it is, then how are we to live in such a way that God shines through us to this divided culture so that they want to come in and experience that unity and that blessing. That's the question. How are we to live? Well, the answer is in today's gospel, which is counter-cultural to the extreme. Jesus said to his disciples, you have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, but I say, do not resist an evildoer. But if anyone strikes you on the right cheek, turn the other also. Now, what's he getting at there? He's speaking to our right-handed culture. And in that sense, if you want to strike someone on the right cheek who's in front of you, it has to be a backhanded slap. Now, that's not going to physically injure you, but it's insulting. When we are insulted or humiliated by someone else, how are we to respond? not with retaliation, not with a like insult or to escalate. And so Jesus says, turn the other cheek. In that sense, if they want to hit you again, they've got to slap you with their hand. And that's not considered to be as insulting as the back of your hand. So the point here is that when we offer our other cheek, we're not going to retaliate to insults, to humiliations, but we're going to invite the other person to realize what they've done so that they will be ready to reconcile. Because to slap a person again would go over the boundaries and the person in the community would be considered unrighteous. Now, 
Jesus was not setting government policy here. He wasn't throwing out the judicial system. He was not saying that if someone wants to really harm us physically or a member of our family, no, we do have the right of self-defense. The Catechism says legitimate defense can be not only a right but a grave duty for one who is responsible for the lives of others. Classic example in today, the Ukraine war. Ukraine has the right to self-defense. They shouldn't just lay down and be trampled on, nor should we in that sense. But insults, that's different. No retaliation, no revenge. We saw an example of that in the Oscars where someone thought they were insulted, or at least their wife was insulted, Will Smith. And instead of taking this particular text to heart and just letting it go, he gets up on live TV, as you probably saw, and strikes the host of the whole Oscars, Chris Rock, quite violently. Now that could have ended the Oscars right then and there if Chris Rock had retaliated with a punch. Then there could have been a brawl on live TV to the whole world. But what did Chris Rock do? He lived out this particular statement by Christ. He did not retaliate. In fact, he said something very soft, very conciliatory. And the show went on. And if you read all the comments from people who saw that, they recognized Chris Rock was disciplined, he was self-contained, and he did the right thing. And the Oscars went on, the whole evening was a success, where it could have been a disaster. Well, that's an example, even in the culture, of how we are to act. Well, then it says, if anyone wants to sue you, and take your tunic, give your coat as well. Again, that's an insult. If someone's going to sue you in that culture, people become in such indebtedness that the creditor can take his property, but to take the undergarment of a person is basically to strip him naked, to take everything he has, and that's insulting to him and his family. But what does Jesus say? Don't retaliate. Give him your outer coat as well, the coat that really protects you at night from the, the elements. And that will shame him that he's gone too far and perhaps bring him back into the community. The third example Jesus gives, if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them the second. Again, it was insulting for a Jew to have a Roman citizen have the right to pick any Jew off the street and say, you must carry my load for a mile. That was the law that was imposed by the occupying forces of Rome. They couldn't force more than a mile, but they could insist on that mile. Jesus says, go within the second mile to again bring to that person's attention that they've gone too far and that you're ready to reconcile with them. If they need help, you'll go the second mile, even though they are an occupying enemy rather than be insulted. Powerful, powerful verses. But then Jesus says something even more radical. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy, but I say to you, love your enemies. And pray for those who persecute you. 
Now here, love has that Greek translation. Three different words are used in the Bible for love. One is eros. Eros means romantic love. But we don't have to be romantically involved with an enemy. The second is friendship, where we get the word Philadelphia, philia. We're not meant to have, we don't have to at least, have warm feelings for our enemy. Invite them over for dinner and so on. That's not the words that Jesus uses here. He uses the word agape, which is the highest form of love. Agape means an act of the will where we determine we're going to do the best for our enemy, even though we have no feelings for the enemy, certainly no romantic feelings, but we do want the best. And what's the best we can do for our enemy? Pray for them. Pray. And then try to reconcile. That's agape. It's an act of the will. Well, all of this was so radical to the Roman Empire because it was lived out by the Christians that the whole Roman Empire converted within a few centuries. They wanted in on this radical teaching because they saw it lived out. Jesus, of course, on the cross, but the disciples in the early church. Finally, the last verse, be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. That is a reference to the first reading, the call to holiness. Holiness is, again, misunderstood by our culture. It's usually thought of as a do-gooder, someone who does good all the time. That's not holiness. Holiness means actually being separated, consecrated for God, like the temple. And when we're separated and consecrated for holiness, then we live out what God is asking us to do, and we become a friend of God and a friend of our neighbor. And then the community comes together. So again, it's a radical teaching. Let us ask the Holy Spirit to help us in this regard. But it all starts with identity. Who are we anyway? We're the temple of God. The Holy Spirit dwells within us. And it's the Holy Spirit that's empowering us to live this radical gospel and then to bring the world into the same identity. Not critical race theory, not identity politics, not intersectionality, not cancel culture, none of those things. No, we have our identity in Christ Jesus who died for us, who forgave from the cross, who wants to reconcile the world to himself. Let us pray.